This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I believe I set the indoor record yesterday for most changes to a television show. I mean, I must have rewritten the scripts and added things and subtracted things from Media Buzz 17 times between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning, going up until about 15 minutes before airtime. That's how much news was made in an incredibly head-spitting short period of time. And those segments are online, in case you didn't have a chance to see the show or if you want to see it again. Um, And some people said, why did you devote so much of the program to Donald Trump? You're obsessed with Trump. Because Trump was at the center of all of these major stories, all of which we'll get into on the podcast. Um, You know, we also covered the uh, official designation of the House takeover by the Republicans and the investigations that they were planning of Hunter Biden and others. We also uh, talked about Elon Musk and Twitter, which will be my lead story in mere moments. But I want to get into some other things first because, you know, I talked on Friday about Buffalo, where I went to college, and the blizzard, the mega blizzard, the MAGA blizzard that uh, was going to hit there, it was beyond even the wildest forecast. I mean, if you saw those pictures uh, of the Bills Stadium in Orchard Park, a suburb of Buffalo, about 77 inches, some said 80 inches of snow landed on this stadium. It was apocalyptic. It was unbelievable. And, you know, snowplows were paralyzed. I mean, it was supposed to be, Buffalo could get five feet. It got about five and a half feet, the area. Uh, Downtown wasn't as bad as some of the surrounding uh, uh, suburbs. And it just, looking at the videos and the pictures, one one guy had a video of opening his garage and the door goes up and you see snow and you see more snow and you see more snow. And finally, when the garage completely opens, there's a little bit of daylight at the top. I mean, that's what people were facing. I mean, I don't know why people even bothered to dig out because where are they going to go? It was, you know, the the lake effect because Buffalo is right on Lake Erie. I'm well familiar with, but, that, you know, that's for sort of normal blizzards. This was, you know, biblical. In, and, you know, it, it's a city that deals really well with snow. So people are still digging out and they seem unfazed, but wow. Amazing pictures. Um, Just to show you that politics always has a local angle with um, Chuck Schumer, of course, uh, remaining as majority leader in the Senate because the Democrats will control the Senate, even if it's in a 50-50 Senate. And Hakeem Jeffries pretty much assured now of becoming the House Democratic leader, which is to say the minority leader. Um, The New York Times notes that they're both from Brooklyn. And of course, I knew Chuck Schumer was from Brooklyn because I'm from Brooklyn. So Brooklyn pride, yeah. Not that I'm rooting for particular politicians, but I first met Chuck Schumer when he was representing, he was a House member representing the district where I grew up. And he knew the buildings, building where my mother lived and so forth. That was a long time ago. 
So it's just sort of funny. Uh, the New York Times working the Brooklyn angle, and uh, you know, Brooklyn by itself would be a major city, were it not overshadowed by Manhattan. Uh, also, uh, the kicker to the show, if you saw it, was the absolute calamity fiasco, disaster, debacle, I don't have the words to describe it, um, of Ticketmaster screwing up the Taylor Swift tour, where she ended up putting out a statement saying she's pissed off and it's been excruciating. And the people in charge of Ticketmaster, I mean, leaving aside for just a half a second, the fact that this was a complete and total horrible mess with, you know, so many people, especially uh, women, you know, going online for hours and hours, told they would get tickets, and some did, and many didn't, and then the general public never even got a shot at it because they ran out of tickets, Um, and now they're being resold for as much as $28,000 a ticket. That's how much the demand is. Um, For days, Ticketmaster was issuing these tone-deaf statements like, well, you know, we're doing the best we can, but, you know, she's really popular. What is the matter with you people? So finally, somebody in the communications department must have gone to the CEO and said, dude, you are screwing this up. Are you familiar with the word sorry? And so finally, Ticketmaster put out a statement saying it apologizes to Taylor Swift and to her fans for the uh, terrible experience they've had in this whole thing, where that apology should have come on day one or day two. And obviously, I question its sincerity because they're just trying to stop the bleeding at that point. Um, yesterday, I wished President Biden a happy 80th birthday. Not something the White House wanted to play up. They're much more interested in playing up the, uh, the wedding at the White House of the uh, president's granddaughter. Uh, which, by the way, if the wedding was at the White House, I think they should have had to put out a few more pictures. You know, you don't have to have the wedding at the White House, but if you do, keeping the whole thing super private. Anyway, so along comes here, uh, Washington Post, hey, working past 80 while still the exception is not as rare as it once was. The number of octogenarians in the U.S. workforce has soared from about 110,000, or 2.5% of the 80-plus population in 1980, to a high of about 734,000, or 6% of all octogenarians in 2019. Uh, So here it is like, hey, you know, it's fine for Biden to be 80. Uh, New York Times called up a bunch of experts who said, um, you know, uh, depending on the individual, they can live a long time without any loss of um, function, and he's surrounded by his family, and he's a demanding job, and that's all good. Okay. Um, people have heard me tell this story before, but I, of course I knew with president's birthday was coming up because it's also my daughter's birthday. And, you know, back when she was about seven years old, she did this little class project in which she wrote a little poem about sharing a birthday with vice president Biden. She had a little picture of him. And, um, this is such a Washington story. These were posted on the wall, and one of the mothers, and I had nothing to do with this, um, who had some tie to the White House or worked in the White House, saw this, asked if she could send it to the vice president's office. She did, and then my daughter, the age of seven, got a handwritten note from the vice president. Again, I had nothing to do with this. 
saying, uh, re- responding to things that, that she had said in the poem and inviting her to visit the White House, which we didn't t- take him up on, but we probably should do it now. I think it could be interesting. Okay, so one more thing here. Let's see. Um, oh, here's a poll. The share of Democratic voters who believe Biden can win the next presidential election jumped 11 points from August. And half of Democratic voters say, this is according to uh, USA Today poll, Biden should be the nominee and deserves re-election, up six points from August. Okay, half is still not that great, but it's better than it was. Hollywood Reporter, the stunning news that Bob Iger is returning as the CEO of Disney, while the current CEO, Bob Chapek, was dumped by the company. Uh, kind of a triumph for Argo, who leaves and then they beg him to come back. Um, Chapek never uh, was a longtime Disney guy, but never sort of won the confidence of the company as CEO. Um, he had a messy public conflict with Scarlett Johansson over compensation, and he wouldn't denounce Florida's don't say gay law. And that was quickly reversed after a staff outcry because, uh, you know, you're the Disney company. you got to do that. Um, Iger didn't have any public comments on Chapek, but he, he made some of his views known, according to Hollywood Reporter, such as when he tweeted his own opposition to the Florida law. So he's ready to take on Rand DeSantis, I guess. Anyway, that's pretty remarkable. He leaves and the other guy's in there for a while and it's like, OK, you're out. Bring back Iger. You know, he's kind of an icon. We'll see how he does. All right, let me get down to business here. Story number one, Elon Musk reinstating Donald Trump on Twitter. And this was one of the things, first of all, this was very shrewdly timed by Elon Musk so that he would do it on Saturday night and it would be fresh news for all the Sunday morning TV shows, including mine, because this is what a lot of people have been waiting to see. Um, Now, so far... Trump has said uh, that he doesn't have any plans to return. And I am saying, go out on a limb here, he's going to tweet. He's going to come back. He's got his 88 million followers back. Yes, he's contractually obligated to Truth Social. And he has to give Truth Social at least a six-hour jump on anything he does on any other social media. That doesn't mean he couldn't retweet his social media posts. I mean, these things can always be worked out. Come on. And the idea that now that he's running for president, Trump is going to let this smaller megaphone, in which he is invested, um, stop him from regaining his old megaphone, I just don't buy it. I just don't friggin' buy it. Uh, As for Musk, um, you know, he has a great flair for entertainment and drama, Uh, And I'm not buying, like, you know, supposedly Twitter is going to be gone by now because, you know, there were all these headlines. There was one in the Washington Post, you know, as users prepare for platforms demise. Okay, they can prepare all they want. A lot of people have been saying goodbye. Some liberals have gotten on and says, well, I will not share this platform with Donald Trump. So I'm getting off Twitter. You're sharing the platform with all kinds of other people you don't like. It's just a protest, I guess. All right, fine. You know, go on, go find someplace else to post. I don't care. I got it. So Elon Musk overpays $44 billion, and he's got to find a way to make some money. And the thing is, he had himself said 
that nobody, as in nobody, would be reinstated until he formed a content moderation council to review all this stuff. Because, you know, he's trying to send a signal to advertisers that there will be, that um, they're not changing the old rules of Twitter. You know, for all his free speech talk, um, you know, he doesn't have that many people left to carry it out. But nevertheless, they say they're not changing the old rules. Hate speech and all that stuff, unacceptable. He just doesn't, he doesn't believe in permanently barring most people. Although, let me just find this. He did make an exception for Alex Jones. And he was asked, well, how come you, you, you're doing that? And Musk said, I'd never heard this. Maybe it was known that his firstborn child died in his arms and he felt his last heartbeat. What a horrible tragedy. I've never heard of this. Quote, I have no mercy for anyone who would use the deaths of children for gain, politics, or fame. And by the way, he's really going after the New York Times, uh, which of course has been quite critical of uh, his short tenure and obviously never thought he should get it, uh, take control of Twitter. He described the Times as boring as F and left-wing, you know, propaganda. And then more recently, he said, all the news fit to print my ass. So he doesn't like the New York Times. Okay, so forget the Content Moderation Council. He decides to do a poll, a Twitter poll. And something like 15 million people participated. So he was like, yeah, fine, attack me all you want. This is great for traffic. Um, 15 million votes were logged on this poll. It was 52-48, 52% in favor of the former president returning, 48% against. I have a feeling if those numbers were flipped and it was uh, 52% against Trump returning, Musk still would have found a way. He probably just would have waited. The people have spoken, he said. Trump will be reinstated. Okay, um, now, Trump said, I like Elon, but I'm staying on truth. Well, nobody is suggesting that he should be on truth. The question is, is that preclude him from going on Twitter? So every show I turn to is like, Trump, back on Twitter. What does this mean? Isn't this terrible? And by the way, CBS had said, had stopped as an organization, had stopped, uh, using its Twitter account over the weekend, saying, we are reassessing the situation. Okay, a couple of days, got a lot of criticism. CBS says, okay, we've assessed the situation, we're coming back. <laughs> what was that, okay? Uh, NAACP is outraged at Elon, says, any advertiser still funding Twitter should immediately pause all advertising um, because they don't like Trump. So that debate has now been settled. What hasn't been settled is, uh, will he do it? Mark my words, just count the number of days. All right. And I said this about Trump after he gave that, you know, subdued and kind of lackluster announcement speech. By Friday night, he was uh, back on social media saying, stolen election and all of that. He was actually on video saying stolen election. I played it on the show yesterday. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, the other bombshell that happened Friday afternoon after we last spoke on the podcast. Merrick Garland appointing a special counsel to oversee the day-to-day investigation of candidate Donald Trump. And this had been signaled. It had been leaked. So, you know, Trump's outraged. This is unbelievable. Uh, I can't believe this. So I love this. The guy's name is Jack Smith. (laughs) No one outside the legal world had ever heard of him. And now everybody has to become an expert on Jack Smith. So the decision by Merrick Garland that because he faces a conflict for two reasons. One, Trump is now a declared candidate. That's the reason he did this. Had Trump not declared his candidacy, he wouldn't have named the special counsel. Secondly, Garland said that because his boss, President Biden, is a likely candidate for re-election, and certainly has said he intends to run, um, that that's another reason why there should be a special counsel. And he names Jack Smith, who's currently prosecuting war crimes in The Hague, who has an impeccable resume. Um, and yet, it's, it's just fascinating to me. So Trump then attacks it, attacks Jack Smith as a radical left Democrat. And the reaction among left-leaning organizations was, it ranged from two things. One, this is a really good sign because Garland wouldn't be doing this unless he thought he had a case for indicting Trump on some grounds, and that's why he needs a special counsel. Then there were these other people who said, this is terrible because you're bringing in another layer of bureaucracy. It's going to slow down the investigation, and there's no need to do this. On the right, it was sort of like, why now? If this conflict existed, well, why now is because Trump declared. Why didn't you do this at the beginning? And secondly, there was attacking Jack Smith. And in calling him a radical left Democrat, Donald, and he says, you know, this is the same old witch hunt and hoax, and it's like the rigged 2020 election, so that makes a cameo appearance. Um, What they're hanging their hats on is that Jack Smith worked for the Justice Department during both the Clinton and Obama administrations, but... Sorry to spoil the attack line here. He was a career prosecutor. There are such things. And during one of his tours, he was the head of DOJ's uh, Office of Public Integrity. That is, the after AG, the most important job there, the most sensitive job there. And indeed, Jack Smith has led prosecutions of many politicians in that role. You have to have unimpeachable integrity. I, I, I covered the Justice Department. I know many of the people who've had that job, and they all have been great. Now, that doesn't mean his record can't be criticized. For example, he got a conviction of uh, former Virginia governor, Republican governor Bob McDonnell, having to do with acceptance of gifts and so forth. And that was overturned by the Supreme Court. I, you know, I mean, the guy is a human being. Um, he also 
actually was brought back um, at a time when the public integrity section had taken a kind of a beating because its conviction of, uh, of uh, then Republican Senator of Alaska, Ted Stevens, had been overturned. And this is what he said at the time, Jack Smith saying, if I were the sort of person who could be cowed, I know we should bring this case, I know the person did it, but we could lose and that will look bad, I would find another line of work. I can't imagine how someone who does what I do or has worked with me could think that. Uh, He recently had a bike accident and he participates in triathlons. This is a very competitive guy. He insisted that things will not slow down. And, you know, Garland would have gotten heat either way. If he hadn't done this, he gets heat. If he does it, he gets heat. He could have picked uh, St. Francis of Assisi and that person would have been trashed by Donald Trump and his allies. Uh, So that was another bombshell uh, coming out Friday afternoon. But again, I mean, Trump supposedly wanted to declare his candidacy to help him with DOJ, and yet it ends up with a special counsel. But look, yes, Merrick, let me just add this. Merrick Garland makes the final call on any indictment. So you could say it's a pointless exercise. But if the special counsel tells him that he doesn't think there's a case here that should be indicted, it's going to be very hard for Garland to go against that. On the other hand, if the special counsel says, for example, we, we definitely should bring an indictment uh, on the um, misuse, mishandling of top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago and obstruction involved in that, then it's going to be hard for Garland to say, uh, I don't think the indictment is the public interest. He could, but it boosts the pressure on him. So it could go either way. All right. Story number two. Here's the New York Times take on the naming of the special counsel. No matter how nonpartisan Smith's resume and record may be, Trump will argue and has argued that he's being unfairly investigated by agents of President Biden, the man he plans to run against in 2024. Trump aims to discredit any possible criminal charges against him for his role in instigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol or his refusal to return government documents he took when he left office. Many of Trump's critics were as unhappy with Garland's decision as Republicans for different reasons. Given that a special counsel will not convince many of the former president's supporters of the legitimacy of the investigations, they argued there was nothing to gain by turning them over to Smith, which could slow down the resolution of the matters. They also said the investigations present no more of a conflict now than they did months ago. This is what I was alluding to earlier. Uh, And at this advanced stage, Garland, as the Senate-confirmed leader of DOJ, was the appropriate figure to lead any investigation. In fact, they said the appointment rewarded Trump by allowing him to change the terms of the investigation simply by announcing another presidential campaign. And then you get to uh, this question, which was, remember when the special counsel was Bob Mueller? I mean, here you had a former FDI director, a lifelong Republican with absolutely an impeccable reputation as a straight shooter. And he saw his reputation marred by the relentless attacks from Trump and his partisans, says the New York Times. So again, it doesn't matter who you pick. I mean, you know, not necessarily that Mueller did an incredible job because, you know, ultimately he punted and it would have been up to Bill Barr anyway. But that was very different because Trump was president. 
And there was this question hanging over the whole Mueller probe, which is, could you indict a sitting president of the United States? Now we're dealing with a former president who doesn't enjoy that at least arguable immunity. But again, uh, if Garland doesn't appoint somebody, Trump savages him. How can Garland be in charge? If Garland appoints, uh, you know, the guy with the uh, fairest record on planet Earth, Trump attacks that person uh, too. Uh, And look, you know, there's a long history here. I mean, did Bill Clinton and his allies attack Ken Starr during that independent counsel investigation when there was an independent counsel law? Of course. Um, And it's just become par for the course. You try to discredit the investigators. Number three uh, has to do with who's kind of maneuvering to possibly run against Trump. Here's Dan Bowles, the uh, chief political reporter and, you know, widely respected veteran of the Washington Post, widely respected by me as well. He says, look, presidential candidates don't always have the luxury of deciding when it's ideal to run. When uh, Barack Obama was deciding in late 2006 whether to run for president, David Axelrod sent him a memo that said, quote, history is replete with presidential candidates for the presidency who waited too long rather than examples of people who ran too soon. You will never be hotter than you are right now. Obama gave himself about a 25% chance of winning the nomination, but ran. The rest is history. In the fall of 98, George W. Bush was headed toward re-election as governor of Texas. Um, He was surprised by how many people were pushing him to run for president. Both of them ran and won. Both went on to serve two terms, which brings us to Ron DeSantis. DeSantis finds himself in the position of Obama. He'll never be in a better position to run for president, even if the odds today don't necessarily favor him winning the nomination. And even if the time is not ideal, he has young children. His wife, Casey, has recently come through a battle with breast cancer. Now, DeSantis is not in the same position as Bush um, because Trump is the acknowledged front runner. But... Trump would, uh, DeSantis, excuse me, would have to defeat a foreign president known for his skill and ruthlessness, says Dan, in taking down potential rivals. Don't look for DeSantis to run too soon. He can wait six months. He's got a legislative session. He could run a front porch campaign from Tallahassee. Um, And, you know, he's got a team in place. He's shown he can raise a lot of money. It's true, you know, if he waits four years, uh, who knows? He's just another governor running against other people who might be hotter at the time. If he runs now, he's kind of seen as the leading guy who could take Trump down. What the New York York Times is saying is if a lot of Republicans run, and boy, a lot of them are maneuvering. I saw Chris Christie at this uh, Republican-Jewish coalition thing saying, you know, you got to go after Trump by name. None of this, you know, not mentioning his name. Trump, you know, is still arguing for a stolen election. If you believe that, support Trump. But that's not the way for our party to go. And, you know, Nikki Haley wants to run and Mike Pompeo wants to run and Mike Pence uh, appears to be running. It's a reminiscent of 2016. You know, all these other GOP stalwarts slit the vote and Trump won. The way in which anti-Trump Republicans could take out Trump would be to settle on one candidate. But, you know, you can't stop the people from running who want to run. I think there may be a number of them. Now, Trump appeared by video uh, for this Republican-Jewish coalition. 
Uh, he diagnosed the Republican Party's poor showing in the midterms, although I will add that they now control the House of Representatives, and it doesn't matter if it's by one vote. But he kind of blamed the Supreme Court overturning Roe, and I knew from interviewing him in 2015 and 2016 that he was not, you know, he presented himself as pro-life, but he didn't denounce that decision. He didn't go after the Supreme Court uh, legalizing same-sex marriage, for example. And so overturning Roe, he didn't even use the word abortion in the answer because he knows that, you know, there's a, a lot of conservatives who nonetheless don't think that, that abortion should be completely and totally outlawed. It was a tough issue and it energized the other side, Trump said, which happens to be true. People came out on the other side for a specific purpose, and it was unfortunate because in many ways it was a great achievement, but there was a specific issue that made it more difficult. Okay. Um, another Washington Post piece, not by Dan Balls, says that open defiance of Donald Trump, a surefire form of political suicide for Republican politicians, has suddenly become a reliable applause line. Quoting Chris Sununu, the New Hampshire governor, uh, imploring Republicans at that same coalition meeting, stop nominating crazy, unelectable candidates. Larry Hogan, outgoing Maryland governor, three strikes and you're out. So that's the take there. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Number four, Elizabeth Holmes was sentenced in San Jose to 11 years in prison on Friday. This is Theranos. This is the woman who defrauded investors about her company's technology. She lied. Um, years, and by the way, uh, I mentioned, I think the other day, her boyfriend, he was also convicted because he also was part of the Theranos scam. Just to remind you, Elizabeth Holmes, who was featured on all these magazine covers as the female Steve Jobs and was lionized by the press, she was young, she was good-looking, she wore black turtlenecks, she raised $945 million for Theranos, saying the startup would revolutionize healthcare because you could get a blood test with just a few drops of blood. She was convicted of four counts of wire fraud for deceiving investors. It was completely made up. It was fraudulent. She didn't have that technology. At the sentencing, she cried. She said, I am devastated by my failings. I have felt deep pain for what people went through because I failed them. Uh, this is fascinating. She has a one-year-old son and is pregnant with her second child. So she won't have to report to prison, I mean, pending an appeal, until the spring because she's having this other baby. Um, okay, I mean, that's an individual choice, but having a baby when you're on the verge of going to prison? And and I just have to remind you that the reason she was convicted of this fraud was a single Wall Street Journal reporter 
who exposed this at a time when the whole media was saying Elizabeth Holmes is a trailblazer, she is a genius, she is cutting-edge innovator, and all of that. And in doing so, he had to publish a story that his ultimate boss, Rupert Murdoch, had publicly supported. He supported Theranos, and he had money in Theranos, and yet he allowed that story to be published in the Wall Street Journal. And then it all came tumbling down. In fact, the judge in the case at the sentencing asked whether uh, any victims of Elizabeth Holmes were present. And a guy introduced himself as Alex Schultz, the son of George Schultz, former Secretary of State, who served on Theranos' board and has since died. And Alex is the father of Tyler Schultz, who was a Theranos employee who helped expose the fraud. He aided in the whistleblowing efforts. Alex Schultz described how Elizabeth Holmes had nearly desecrated his family after she suspected Tyler Schultz of speaking to the media about Theranos. She hired private investigators to stalk them, threaten legal ruin, and took advantage of my dad, Alex Schultz said. So there were a lot of victims here. Finally, story number five is just tragic, which is the mass shooting at the uh, nightclub, the gay nightclub in Colorado Springs. At least five people were killed, at least 25 injured. And the bravery of some of the people at that club in capturing or risking their lives to brave the tackling of the suspect, who I'm not going to name and never name these suspects uh, in the mass shooting cases. It just um, encourages them. And that bought some time for the police to show up. It's called Club Q. The police chief in Colorado Springs said at a news conference that the uh, gunman used a long rifle. Uh, two other guns were recovered at the club. I've seen news reports saying it was an AR-15 style rifle. Still looking into the motive. Injured people taken to a number of hospitals. FBI is involved in the investigation. Uh, the governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, praising the brave individuals who blocked the gunman. Now, what I'm not going to do is jump to conclusions because obviously a lot of people are already politicizing this and assuming that this was an attack on LGBTQ people because this place is well known as a gay nightclub. That could well be the case, but I'm not going to automatically assume it. What I will say is the following is just stunning, shocking, and heartbreaking and unbelievable because these people would still be alive and all the injured people would not be injured. And that is, this guy was arrested by police last year, or a guy with the same name. His mother had called the cops and said she was not with her son, didn't know where he was, but he had threatened to hurt her with a bomb ammunition, and other weapons. He threatened his own mother. He was charged with several crimes, including felony menacing and three kidnapping charges. Now, how in the world 
was he not locked up for that? How was he able to be free after that? He threatened his own mother. He was charged, felony, menacing, and three kidnapping charges. Perhaps those charges were not successful, but still, listen to this woman, Leslie Bowman. She said in an interview that the incident took place at her home where she had been renting a spare room to the suspect's mother. Bowman was away from the house during the incident. And she says, why is he not in jail after that happening? After that initial day, police never reached out to me for additional information. I'm a Second Amendment supporter, don't get me wrong. But for him to be out there and have access to weapons after that incident, I don't understand it, she says. And I don't understand it, and nobody understands it. This is the, a kind of case where this is not, you know, just somebody posting uh, vitriolic or brutal or violent things online, but you can't charge them because they haven't committed any crimes. This guy was charged with a crime. Police didn't follow up. They didn't go to the woman whose house it is. They didn't try to block him from getting access to guns. They have a lot of answering to do, and we need to know more about the case. I don't usually get this exercise, but this is a bleeping outrage. Well, I will take a moment now to thank you. Hope you had a good weekend, by the way. I usually say that at the top of the Monday broadcast. Uh, check out the Media Buzz segments if you like. I'd also appreciate if you would subscribe to our fast-growing podcast here. And we'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzBeater. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.